If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah 61, verses 10 through 62, verse 3, page 621 in your pew Bibles. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Our New Testament reading is Luke 2, verses 22 through 40, page 857 in your pew Bibles. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, excuse me, Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Our Father, we are grateful to you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us, Lord, and it is only by your help that we can hear you. And it's only by your help, Lord, that we can understand what it is that you are saying to us. And we pray that you would help us now by your spirit to take in what it is that you have said to us, Lord, and that our lives are enriched as we hear and as we listen and obey the truths of your word. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. The title of the message today is, My Eyes Have Seen Your Salvation, Part 2. This is a message we began last Sunday, and I'm not going to recount the first three points of the sermon, because if you want to, you can go back to the church website and you can listen to it there or on the, our, on the church's YouTube channel, Grace Dover, uh, and you can watch it there. But I'll, I will give you a recap just as, uh, so you can follow along with the thought of the message to which the title points. And the thought is this, how vital it is for our eyes to see the Lord's salvation. It's vital. And you know what vital means, right? You go to the doctor, and the first thing the nurse does before you see the doctor is to check your weight, they check your pulse, they check your, your oxygen, they check your blood pressure. Vital signs. If you don't have any of these, there's no need for you to see the doctor. You're ready for the undertaker. You see, vital is something you can't do without. And what I'm saying is that you can't do without seeing the Lord's salvation. And it's not easy to see the Lord's salvation, but it's vital. Everyone needs it, but not everybody sees it. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that the news of the Lord's salvation it's not seen as fact. Too many believe it's in the realm of myth or legend, and it's impossible to separate fact from fiction. Because too often, the two are mixed. For example, take the Nyland brothers, Frederick or Fritz, Bob and Preston, Edward of Tonawanda, New York, they all joined the military during World War II. Bob was killed at Normandy on D-Day, and while Preston was killed the next day in, in Germany, and Edward was believed dead be after his plane went down over the jungles of Burma. And the news of the tragedy of these three brothers, it traveled fast, and back in the States, the mother was notified that the three boys were gone, two killed, and one presumed dead. Fritz, not having heard the tragic news about his brothers, had been searching for his brother, Bob. The State Department, the War Department, had sent out orders for Fritz to come home, and the, the orders were given to Father Francis Sampson. He was tasked with finding Fritz to inform him of these orders that he is to go home. The chaplain found him, informed him of the orders, and Frederick went home and served the rest of his time as an MP 
there in New York. Now, these are the facts behind the fictional Oscar-winning Spielberg movie Saving Private Ryan. And if you've ever seen the movie, you would recognize the distinction between the facts of the real-life brothers and all the made-up portions of the movie. Now, the made-up stuff was really good. I mean, it was a really, it was a really good movie. Uh, but, but fact and fiction are often mixed up when it comes to the story of Christ as well. When Christ comes to earth, we, fact and fiction is mixed up. And many relegate the story of Christ to the realm of myth and legend. However, your response to the facts is not the same as response to fiction. Facts are true, and they're inescapable. Fiction may inspire you, but it doesn't deliver you from sin. And in order to see the Lord's salvation, you need to receive it as vital truth, that it, that the vital truth that it is, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Epiphany uh, was yesterday, the 6th. He say it's always the sixth, and that's true. It's 12 days after Christmas. So it's appropriate that we talk about seeing the Lord's salvation since Epiphany is all about having one's eyes opened. And Christians believe that the most significant Epiphany is that of Jesus Christ's divine nature being revealed to us. He is the Lord's salvation. The story of salvation, as was mentioned last week, ought to evoke a response in you. Have your eyes seen the Lord's salvation? Because if you are to see the Lord's salvation, you must see that the law of Moses is upheld and your expectation of consolation is revealed as the scope of salvation is unveiled while hearts are no longer concealed and gratitude for redemption is upheld. Now, we covered last week the, the law of Moses being upheld, the expectation of, of consolation being revealed, and the scope of salvation being unveiled. So we're only going to talk about the last two, that hearts are no longer concealed. Look at verse 33 and 35. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So in thinking about this, in thinking about this as to why hearts are no longer concealed, it's needful to think about why it's important for the law of Moses to be upheld, and the expectation of consolation is revealed, and the scope of salvation being unveiled. Because the, the first three points build on each other, and the foundation of the story and the gospel of Luke are, are, are therein. The law of Moses is the law of the Lord, and it's what governs our relationships with God and with each other. And Jesus' mission, recall Matthew 121, Jesus' mission is to fulfill the law. And he, said, he would say this in Matthew 5, 17, in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And in Luke chapter 24, the last, the last chapter of the book of Luke, and this is after Christ has risen from the dead, he said this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You see, Jesus fulfills the law. But what does that mean? It means that he kept the law in its letter and its spirit. He kept the law, loving God perfectly, loving his neighbor as himself. He did not fail. And he understood that it wasn't just about him. Because his fulfilling the law is vital to understanding the expectation of consolation. And how so? Well, Jesus fulfilled the law instead of failing the law. The nation of Israel had failed. The nations around them had failed. And someone might say, well, they didn't have the law. That's true. They didn't have the law. But ignorance of the law does not excuse you from its obligations. No amens there, but you know that's true. If you walk into the court and you tell the cop, I didn't know that there was a speed limit sign. Doesn't matter. Ignorance does not excuse you from the obligations of doing the speed limit. <laughs> See, so thus, yes, we have all failed the law. And Paul would say this in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short, failed, of the glory of God. And because of our failing, if we understand how truth works, yeah, we're in need of consolation. And see, Christ is the light that exposes us. It expo he exposes our hearts. And what he exposes, it's going to be unsettling. Because the text says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, hearts are no longer concealed. The, 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 the thoughts and intents of every heart is made known. They will either fall and rise or fall and be crushed. See, in the text here, the sword that's piercing Mary's own soul, yeah, so Simeon is letting her know that Mary, you're not, you're not going to escape. Yeah, you're going to suffer as well. You're not going to escape. He's causing the fall of many, the fall and rise of many in Israel. And the sword that pierces through Mary, it's a sword that hurts like death. She will hurt like death for her firstborn child. Herod kills baby boys because of her baby boy. She will see how he's mistreated, rejected by his hometown, by the religious leaders, by the government, and eventually killed by both the religious leaders and the Roman government. It's a sword. It's killing her. Her son dies, but not because he failed the law, 
Because just as he suffers the cutting of his flesh in circumcision, he identifies with our sinfulness to show that he will one day be cut off because of our sin. Now here's what's happening. For since Jesus has upheld the law of Moses, we are all exposed as failures in keeping the law. And now someone might ask, well, is that so bad? What's so, why, why is that so bad? Well, imagine you go to bed and you sleep all night and, and then you wake up to use the bathroom or whatever. You swing your legs to get out of bed, but you fall flat on the floor because your legs are gone. Would that be bad? That is a question you can answer. None of you would say, oh, no, that's not so bad. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it is bad. Yeah, amputees have phantom pains, feelings that the limbs are, are still there, but they're gone. I used to work with a, a, a man who was a double amputee, and he would tell me stories of, of waking up and, and falling on the floor that morning because he was thinking he still had legs since he could still feel his toes. See, that's, that's bad. That's bad. But failing, failing the glory of God, sin is infinitely worse. It's an apocalypse. That's the word that's used there when it talks about the, what's being revealed. The, the hearts are, are, are revealed. It's the word for apocalypse. It's the same word translated, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's an apocalypse. And you can't fix your failure. It's like trying to unscramble eggs. You see, Jesus, Jesus, though, has not failed. But he has fulfilled the law. But not only that, he also shows us the scope of this salvation. That his fulfilling of the law wasn't just for himself, and it wasn't just for the nation of Israel, but it was for Jew and Gentile. It's for all ethnicities. Do you believe this good news? And now if your eyes have seen the Lord's salvation, what you really believe is now made known. Hearts are no longer concealed. There's an apocalypse. And here's the apocalypse. There's too many too many are seeking to keep the law through their own effort and record of obedience. But unless you keep it perfectly, you're a failure. And you can't undo your sin. You can't fulfill the law that you have already broken. You can't unscramble the eggs. You see, Christ's perfection exposes your shortcomings. And here's the... Here's, the apocalypse continues. The, here's the, the revelation is, yet it is his perfect record of obedience that is applied to all, Jew and Gentile, when they place their faith in him. See, the apocalypse has to happen for us to see our need and the salvation Christ has wrought. The firstborn of the family has fulfilled his duty. This means by faith in Christ that through that though you fall, you will rise. The apocalypse will not crush you. Hallelujah. However, if you have no faith in Christ, you are naturally speaking against him. You fall. Do you see that? 
if you think that you are somehow going to please God apart from Christ's sacrifice for you, you are opposing Christ. And you don't really believe God. At least not the God of the Bible. You may have a God that you say you believe, but he's not the one who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, without Christ, you will remain fallen, a failure, short of the glory of God. You will not rise, and the apocalypse will crush you. But because of Christ, because of Christ, see, hearts are no longer concealed. Everyone is exposed. However, there is redemption. Hallelujah. Yeah, there is, there is redemption. And this is what verse 36 and 38 tells us. There's gratitude for redemption is appealed. Look at verse 36 and 30 through 38. And there was a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, it's noteworthy that Luke tells Anna's story. Because, you know, women weren't given much attention. They, you know, so often they weren't, they, they weren't educated. They, you know, they couldn't testify in court. And widows were among the, the, those who were most impoverished in Israel. And their culture's attitude about women was horrible by our culture standards. It was, I mean, it was really horrible. But Luke takes the time to talk about her devotion and her influence at the temple. She was a widow of, for 84 years. A widow for 84 years. So that means, so he says she was a virgin. So if she, was, if she married as a virgin, and, and, that's, and typically in, in Israel and in those days, yeah, she was probably about 14 years old. And, and she lived with her husband seven years. That makes her about 21. And then for the next 84 years she lived as a widow. That makes her about 105 years old. She's 105. What excuse do you have for not coming to church? She was at church. <laughs> Night and day. 105. Uh, see, her devotion and worshiping with fasting and, and prayer night and day, it made her credible. She was like Deborah in the Old Testament, or, or Hannah, whose her, her name is like Hannah's, and, 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 or Huldah. Who, who was also considered prophetess. So, so this, 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 is, this is so different for Christianity and what it has done, what it did for women. Because upon seeing Simeon and seeing the baby Jesus, she began to make an appeal to people that this is the one whom they were waiting for. He's the one who would redeem Jerusalem. Now, what's the point of telling Anna's story? You see what Luke is doing? He has placed Anna right alongside Simeon. He has placed her testimony right up there. So here, so this says to anyone who's oppressed, it says to anyone who is, who is among the impoverished, anyone who might be on the outskirts, it would say that your testimony, this message of the gospel, this salvation is for you. You are most welcomed by God. 
The point is, yeah, God does not disappoint in bringing deliverance. So do you see? Do you see that seeing the Lord's salvation changes the way you see everything else? Do you see how seeing the Lord's salvation changes the way you see the law of the Lord? You see how seeing the Lord's salvation answers your failure to keep the law by meeting your expectation of consolation? You couldn't save yourself, but Jesus can. Do you see that in seeing the Lord's salvation, hearts are no longer concealed. We're all exposed to this truth of the gospel. Do you see how Christianity changed the view of women? It changed the, how, how, it changed the culture because the appeal for being grateful for the Lord's salvation is first made through a 105-year-old woman. No myth or legend would have thought to include that in their story. <laughs> no, a woman, no, we're not, that's not, that's not. See, because that's not, that, that's how we know that this is not fiction. But it's fact, it's a true story, it actually happened. And it is news that is evoking a response from you. You see, for Simeon and Anna, what they long for, their hunger is now satisfied. That is what, this, yeah, see, this is what happens when you go to, when you go to worship. <laughs> see, the premise of worship is seeing the Lord's salvation. I like how one preacher, he's an, anon, he's an anonymous preacher because his name wasn't given in, at, the, at the beginning of the sermon nor at the end when I, when I read it. But this is what he had to say about Simeon and Anna seeing their salvation. He said, Simeon and Anna represented all who saw that their only hope was in the mercy and grace of God. Along with the poor carpenter and his wife and the outcast shepherds, they were flesh and blood examples of those to whom Christ comes. They personify the paradox of being profoundly empty and profoundly full. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, Matthew 5, 6. They long for the righteousness and consolation that would come only through the Messiah. They came to God's house hungry, and they received, as few others have, in the history of the world. Yeah. You see, that's the, kind, that's the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation being fulfilled. It's that hope that keeps us going. It's the, it's the news of salvation that evokes this hope and keeps it alive in us. As in the case of the, the parents of the Nyland brothers who uh, always believe that their son Edward was still alive. This, this is the rest of the story. In the hope, in the hope that he was still alive, each night his parents set a dinner plate for him. In 1945, Edward was found and liberated from the prison camp in Burma. And Edward's son, he named him after his brother, Preston, tells the story of his grandparents. And he said this, he said, at the dinner table, they would set a place for my dad. They knew the other two brothers, their two sons were dead, but they would set a place for my dad hoping that he would come home. You see, that's the power, that's the power of hope that is, comes alive in us when we see the Lord's salvation. Friends, are you able to separate fact from fiction? 
You see, in Jesus Christ, the story of his birth, the story of his presentation at the temple to fulfill the law of the Lord, the two elderly saints, one feeling relieved of his duty, the other appealing to the crowds to have gratitude that the Redeemer of Jerusalem has come, these are expressing news, facts. And these stories are, are not telling you to follow some instructions and then you'll have salvation. No, they're telling you that the Lord has provided salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Believe him and rejoice. For it's not, now you've heard this saying before, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And that comes from a poem, but, uh, but that's the only line of the poem that anybody ever remembers. And a movie was made about that. You know, but, so so this is, it's, it's not the hand that rocks the cradle that ruled the world, but it's the Christ of the cradle who has rocked the world and rules heaven and earth. Now see, that's a good place to say amen. Now, see, because at the temple... Simeon and Anna saw the one who is the temple of God. Stay with me, because you know Jesus is the place where God and humans meet. See, in Jesus, heaven and earth come together. In Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. In Jesus, the light to the Gentiles has come. See, through Jesus, Isaiah 62.2 has come true. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. Yes, let them bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh because he is worthy. In Jesus... The will of the Father is done on earth as it is in heaven. I ain't going with me here. Yeah. Listen to what the will of the Father is. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Ah, friends, see, this is the Lord's salvation. May Jesus Christ be praised. Believe him to see him. Believe him and be satisfied for life. Believe him and pursue unity between the ethnicities and let the apocalypse that he is our peace lift you. Believe him while you are young. As each day, each day, take in the sight of seeing the, his salvation offered in Christ. The seeing the Lord's salvation moment by moment and in every situation will make you, a more, will make you more pleasant now and in your old age. Yeah, you can't do without seeing the Lord's salvation. It's vital. And the epiphany 
that our hearts are in constant need of is the grace of our eyes seeing the Lord's salvation and then knowing there's no failure so colossal, no fall so deep that the sovereign Christ can't cause you to rise from it. And after all, he called the light to shine out of darkness. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, grateful for his love for us. Thank you that you upheld the law of Moses. Lord, you laid down your life for the law to be fulfilled in us who were colossal failures. Yet, you raised us up even though we fell. Hallelujah. We praise you and we give you thanks and we ask, Lord, that your name might continue to be praised through us as we see your salvation leading us, guiding us, bringing and deepening together our fellowship for the glory of your name, that your light might continue to shine among the nations. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.